My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Mia Sopapia and Jordan House. Conventional trade unions mostly have a commitment to making gains for workers in the context of the legal and political framework that first took shape during and after the Second World War, which includes features like provisions for state and employer recognition of unions, automatic dues checkoffs, paid staff, formalized grievance procedures, highly state-regulated access to the strike weapon and other kinds of job action, and at times active engagement with electoral politics as the principal path to make political gains for workers. On the margins of the labor movement, however, both within conventional unions and beyond them, are other organizational forms with other approaches to unionism. One such organization is the Industrial Workers of the World, also known as the Wobblies. The IWW's roots trace back to the early 20th century, when, for a time, it was a truly mass-based radical organization, with a particularly strong presence out west and in certain resource extraction industries. Though much fewer in number now than in their heyday, the Wobblies persist, and continue to apply the same spirit of militance and autonomy, which in its contemporary form they describe as solidarity unionism. While exactly what that means in practice varies a great deal with context, the basic idea is that it is a way of understanding unionism that focuses less on formal organizations and more on groups of people taking action collectively, democratically, and directly to defend and advance their interests. There's much less investment in official union recognition, formal procedures, and so on, and while that means fewer legal supports of a certain sort, it also means fewer constraints on the kinds of tactics that can be used to exert power on and off the shop floor. Perhaps the most visible current project of the Toronto chapter of the Wobblies is the Toronto Harm Reduction Workers Union, which was the focus of an episode of Talking Radical Radio back in January. However, they have members and supporters in a wide range of sectors and are currently preparing for a summit that will bring together worker organizers who work in what the Wobblies call public service jobs. That is, all of the many different contexts, both private sector and public sector, in which working class people do things for other working class people, from baristas to teachers, nurses to janitors, grocery store clerks to sex workers, call center employees to childcare providers, and so on. The summit, called Working for Each Other, Working for Ourselves, will happen in early October and will have one day of workshops and panels open to interested members of the public and one day specifically for IWW members. It will focus on giving worker organizers and public services a chance to share experiences, skills, tactics, lessons, successes and failures with the idea of strengthening organizing and mobilization by workers in the future. Mia Sopapia and Jordan House are Wobblies and workers in the education sector. They talk with me about the past and present of the IWW, the Solidarity Unionism approach, and the Working for Each Other, Working for Ourselves Summit. We spoke by Skype to phone from Toronto. 
My name is Mia Sopapia, and I'm a graduate student worker at U of T and a part of the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World. And I am Jordan House. I'm a teaching assistant at York University and also a member of the Toronto branch of the Industrial Workers of the World. The summit is a gathering of worker organizers, so grassroots organizers in their own workplaces with an emphasis on public service workers, so all those people who come directly into contact with the public through their jobs. The idea is to get everybody together to discuss how we can organize better and smarter in our workplaces and communities. The Industrial Workers of the World is a labor union. It was founded in 1905 in Chicago by dissidents from the trade union movement who wanted to found a more radical, more militant organization which was capable of organizing workers broadly regardless of race, gender, and skill and was intentionally organized in opposition to the exclusion of workers based on race and gender and became a pretty important fighting organization in the early mid-1900s, organizing kind of on the margins hobo agricultural workers and all sorts of other workers that were excluded from the mainstream union movement. And so for the Toronto branch of the Industrial Workers of the World, I really feel that this branch is doing really important work that really takes the root of the IWW as a whole and really is applying it and growing upon it. And we see this solidarity unionism, this direct action unionism happening in a way that is building from the margins through the Toronto Harm Reduction Workers Union that went public a little over a year ago here in Toronto. It's the first union of its kind. We see it through our advocacy and fighting on behalf of people who are experiencing wage theft. We see it in the way that the Toronto branch is fighting in solidarity with other striking workers. We're also seeing it with our women's committee. We're seeing it with our solidarity network. I think every component of the Toronto IWW is building towards this strength. And we're seeing it more and more as more of these types of campaigns, more of these types of connections, more of these types of skills and lessons learned that we're having emerge moving forward. And now we're seeing it in what we hope will come out of this organizing summit, working for each other, working for ourselves. Me and I are both education workers, but our branch is much more diverse than that. So we have an active education worker and student organizing committee. And since most of us education workers are also members of trade unions, a lot of what we do is try to coordinate how we engage with the trade unions that we're in. But we also have active organizing in food and retail. We have recreation workers. We have healthcare workers, nurses, research analysts, nannies, some unemployed members, the interesting thing always about talking about this is as a union, it's sometimes difficult for us to name ourselves and all of our members, especially since we're organizing with some vulnerable populations. So the exciting thing to always hint at is the fact that we can't always necessarily completely out ourselves as a union and that some of the exciting things about who's involved, who's not involved will get announced as we need it to be announced. So I guess before I mention how the IWW distinguished itself from mainstream labor movement kind of in the old-timey days and 
in the contemporary era, we think that we're unique, at least in North America, in this approach to unionism that we call solidarity unionism. This is sometimes also called direct action unionism, and it's the idea that a union is a group of workers on the job who take action in support of their interests. And that means that what's important is workers organizing to taking action themselves. And what's less important is things like government and employer recognition. So that means that we often work outside of labor board certification processes, like the harm reduction workers who have explicitly decided that they are not going to seek certification through the labor board and instead use tactics that they develop that make sense for their own situation. And this also means that we avoid what we would call like the traps of conventional contractual unionism, like management rights clauses and no-strike clauses that constrain workers' repertoire of tactics. How did the idea for the Working for Each Other, Working for Ourselves Summit originate? On the simplest level, it was an idea that was brought to the branch from one worker and then built upon by all of our workers at the table when we were discussing the summit. But I think fundamentally, we're noticing a pattern both in terms of the way that our branch is doing organizing, but also in how we're seeing the focus of current union struggles on a broader level and current organizing struggles on a broader level for workers. So when we look at who is leading the fight for better working conditions, we're seeing it from a lot of public service workers, so education workers. The fight for 15 for restaurant workers and everybody, really, but I think food workers are a huge driver for that. I think we're seeing it across the board in so many different ways. We've been seeing it, at least within our union, with the harm reduction workers union. We're seeing it in other branches with, you know, the panhandlers union in Windsor. We're seeing this trend of individuals who are working in jobs that are often overlooked and undervalued really taking the lead and shouting out the battle cry for better conditions. And it makes sense for our union. It makes sense on a broader level to have this gathering and to start sharing these lessons learned and to start strategizing about the direction of this site. So I think that's a huge part of where the motivation, the initial spark for working for each other, working for ourselves came from. Another way to answer that would be to say that the IWW is a small organization. I think that we try to be realistic about our capacity and about the things that we've been able to win. Our victories have been very modest in the current era. So what's important is that we share with each other and other people interested in the kind of work that we're doing, our successes and especially our failures. And the broader union in North America has been organizing these summits to allow that to happen regionally, mostly. And so we decided that we thought we had something to offer here and we wanted to be involved in that process. And so we decided to do things a little bit differently by theming things around a broad group of workers that we think is very interesting and important. And also we're doing something unique by having one day of the conference open to the public, not just IWW members. So we want to hear much more broadly from all sorts of people engaged in organizing and labor struggles in all sorts of ways, what they have to say about some of the things that we're talking about. And why is it these sorts of workers who are taking a lead role in so many of these struggles today? Like so many workers, they're fiercely under attack. 
they're seriously undervalued, even though, as the title of this conference implies, it's working for each other, working for ourselves. Like, these are the jobs where we are in service for one another. We're educating each other's children. We're keeping each other healthy. We're, you know, reducing the harms associated with drug use, with homelessness. We're directly servicing each other. We're trying to help each other in the work that we do. But the minimum wage isn't going up. A lot of these jobs are minimum wage jobs or highly underpaid or undervalued jobs. And we've seen this all across North America. There's more and more legislation that's actively pushing against them. There's more and more of an attitude even that doesn't see these jobs as being worthy of respect. And I think when you put workers in a pressure cooker, they're eventually going to, you know, explode out of it. So for me, I think that's where a lot of this drive and this energy is coming from. When these workers, when us workers, because I'm in this category, when we aren't being respected, we're going to let everybody know why we're worthy of respect. We're going to reach out to each other, too, and we're going to try and demonstrate our power. We're going to try and show our solidarity to each other and foster that respect with one another and show our power. I know that's kind of a hoorah-rah answer to that question, but there are so many reasons that we're taking this fight before that public service workers, the people who feed one another, the people that house one another, the people that educate and care for one another in so many different ways are going to band together. In addition to the fact that, yeah, public service workers have been at the forefront of, I think, a lot of struggles that we've seen over the past few years, there's also something we think really inspiring and interesting about the idea of the public service in exactly what Mia was saying. This is where working class people perform services for each other, and that's the title of the conference. There's also something prefigurative here. We want people to think about what would a public service look like after capitalism, right? What would a public service where we're working for each other and working for ourselves exclusively, not working for bosses and bureaucrats and all of those other layers of people who don't directly contribute. What would it mean for workers to serve each other in kind of a less mediated way? Tell me about the organizing for the summit and about the plans for what's going to happen at it. The IWW is you know, we're not a profit union. We're a member-run union where we collect voluntary dues. But it's not like we have a huge finances for a project of this scale. So a lot of it was reaching out to other organizations for support, reaching out to people for panels and workshops, all the classic work that you would expect to go into something of this sort with uh, maybe more volunteer hours, perhaps, than some this is the unsexy kind of union organizing that happens. But that's important to talk about, too. This is the grunt work. This is draft. This is writing, you know, copy for the website and making phone calls and asking people for money and getting people to register. When the movies talk about union struggles, it's some dude usually standing up in front of a crowd, giving a speech, inspiring people to act. But obviously, we know that there's a lot more that goes into any kind of vital movement. So this is hopefully a contribution to something. So the summit is going to be held over two days, October 3rd and 4th in Toronto. And day one, October 3rd, will be open to the public. And day two will be closed for IWW members. And we have panels and discussions each day. So far, we think we're going to have on day one panels that touch on fighting for a $15 minimum wage directly on the shop floor. 
strategies and tactics around organizing in queer workplaces. So we have a very interesting panel about a few union drives in kind of like the queer economy. We are going to have workshops on working within existing trade unions, a panel on the possibilities for sex worker organizing. And alongside all of that, we are going to have a host of skill shares talking about basic organizing skills. And then the thing that everyone should be most excited for is we're going to have a panel on solidarity unionism in action, kind of like recent developments and exciting developments in the kind of organizing that the IWW is trying to do. So we hope to have workers from the Toronto Harm Reduction Workers Union, the Windsor and Ottawa Panhandlers Union, and the IWW's Incarcerated Worker Organizing Committee, which is working to organize prisoners in the United States. Again, that day one, all those panels on day one will be on October 3rd, which is totally open to the public. Tell me more about the decision to have a component of the summit that's open to the public and a component that's for members only. Why is it important to have both? The IWW tries very self-consciously to be an organization on the left that actually engages with broad masses of people, if you will, where they're at. And so I think that means that we like to have an outward orientation all the time. We don't want to be an organization that just meets and talks to itself with a kind of reinforcing of established ideas. We want to be more engaged than that. And that's important for many reasons. And this is one way to do that, to say, hey, we might have some political differences with you, or you might not know anything about us, but please come out to this and let's all talk about what we think about these issues. That's definitely one significant reason for that. I completely agree. Day one is all about getting everybody together and seeing what skills and practical knowledge and lessons learned we can share with one another. Day two is an opportunity for those of us in the IWW then to take all of that that we get on day one and to make sure that that public conversation is informing our internal practices so that we can then sit down in a room together and apply that knowledge to our strategies to organize for better working conditions in some of the job sites, whatever it may be that we're already engaged in or trying to be engaged in. And then, of course, by having a public day followed by the private day, we'll also have an opportunity then to see if there's anybody out there who wasn't originally out there who wants to become involved in the industrial workers of the world and balancing the two, making sure that we have this public outreach and then take all of that knowledge that we can apply is what makes that two-day split really important. And based on your experiences of doing outreach so far for this event and on your experiences with past events, who do you expect to attend the summit beyond people who are already IWW members? We're definitely going to have some folks that we like often work with. So there's going to be some secondary school teachers in Ontario. There's going to be some workers from Pearson Airport who we've worked with before who are going to be there. I also think there's probably going to be lots of other people from different tendencies and organizations on the left who might be doing their own work with a different emphasis who still might be interested in this. And this might be not their main project, but something that they would be interested in coming out to. And we hope that folks who've been thinking about work and what they can do about it might come across this and also be interested too. What do you hope that people, both members and non-members, take away from the event? 
that's yet to be seen in some ways, but the huge hope, of course, is that some of the big lessons learned in practical knowledge that both individuals in the IWW and beyond the IWW have been acquiring over years and years of really grueling workplace organizing. I think the lessons from that are the main components, the main takeaway that we hope folks can get from this. And then I think the other big hope is that from those lessons learned, we're also all making, whether we're in the IWW or not, making a plan for the future of sorts, that we're making some successful strategies and formulating those strategies in such a way that will build our power. And then, of course, I think just on a more basic level, I'm hoping personally that some of the connections I make as an attendee, both with individuals in the IWW, individuals from other sympathetic organizations, and then those folks we're hoping will come in looking for some answers about how to make their workplaces better. I'm hoping that those connections lead to something fruitful. So yeah, let's share some stories, let's share some lessons learned, let's strategize, and let's get connected. That's exactly it. What we want to see is people be inspired, hopefully come out of this a little bit smarter, more self-aware, watching out for problems and mistakes that have happened before in their organizing. But mostly what we want is action. We want, hopefully, there'll be new organizing campaigns or reinvigorated campaigns. That's our main goal of this. Some of the power in this, too, is that we're going to be having so many different jobs, so many different types of workers getting their hands dirty, learning about all these skills and sharing all these stories in this conference. I mentioned earlier that a lot of workers in the public services are undervalued in a variety of ways, but I think we don't necessarily always think about the intersections between education workers, so people TAing or teaching and people working in a restaurant or people working in sex work or people working in harm reduction or panhandlers or health workers. I mean, there's all of these jobs that we don't necessarily see the connections between. And I'm really hoping that the other thing that this summit will provide people is to see those connections and use those connections for action. And what are some of these concrete skills that you hope people are able to build through the workshops and the skill shares at the summit? A big part of organizing skills is practice talking to people and in like an intentional way. And so what we're going to do is have a portion of a longer training that the IWW does called Organizer Training 101. And we're going to have a condensed module of that that takes you through the main steps of what we try to accomplish through conversations with our coworkers in order to organize the union. We use this little pneumatic device called AEIOU. What we do is talk about how to agitate people. That's the A, get them thinking about issues at work. E is educate people to solutions to those problems. I is inoculate people to what the repercussions of organizing might be. And then O is organizing, actually taking up the work and doing the task that needs to be done before you, which is union form of the union and pushing the organizing forward. So that's going to be one of our main skill-based workshops. Another one we're going to do is a mapping and charting exercise of our workplace or perhaps neighborhoods, depending on where people are at, that looks at how to think strategically about how our workplace operates and what the relationships and organization that exists at work and how to shift those to work in the favor of an organizing drive. So that's like a couple examples of the concrete skills that we hope to provide there.
What's your sense of some of the key barriers to solidarity unionism spreading as a way to address workplace issues? I think for those of us that are either in a union, as I am with QP, or have past experiences with these typical business unions that we often think about when we think about union, I think that the limited capacity of those unions, the limited way that we think about those unions, the limited way that we can operate in those unions keeps us from thinking about working directly with our coworkers towards change. To me, that's one of the biggest barriers to making this shift. And to me, that's why this summit is important, is so that we can get people who maybe feel limited in that scope and talk about the other ways to work for power in our workplaces with each other. For me, the biggest barriers to the spreading of this model of unionism is, I think, two things. One is low expectations. People have been gradually beaten down for so long that the questions aren't, you know, are we getting as much as we deserve, which is a really modest question to begin with. But like, let's not rock the boat lest we lose what little we have. Contracting out, layoffs, offshoring, these are very real things that people are facing and downsizing given the current economic situation. So lowered expectations. And the other one, I think, is just a question of dealing with uncertainty. There's a certain certainty in leaving things alone as they are, even if they're bad. We know they're bad. We have some sense of that. But getting people to have higher expectations and be willing to risk a certain amount of uncertainty, that's hard. And so what the labor board certified contractual unionism allows is a tremendous amount of certainty in a certain framework. There can still be retaliatory firings, people might have to go on strike and that kind of thing, but asking people to engage in a kind of struggle where the rules are less clear, that's a difficult thing. What does the Toronto chapter of the IWW have coming up beyond this upcoming summit that we've been talking about today? We'll definitely be putting on public events of our organizer training 101. We tend to do them quarterly. The activities of the Toronto Harm Reduction Workers Union are also ongoing and we're anticipating a ramping up of activity there. So if people are in the harm reduction sector or know people that are or are interested in this kind of organizing, they should watch out for that. And we also hope to have some of our campaigns, which are very early on, grow legs and get to a point where we can start taking action and being public about the kind of organizing that we are doing every day. Yeah, the Toronto IWW is definitely in a position where everybody should be staying tuned (laughs) and getting involved if they want to be a part of some of these exciting projects that we may need to keep hush-hush in the meanwhile. Yeah, stay tuned is the message here. You have been listening to my interview with Mia Sopapia and Jordan House. They are education workers and members of the Industrial Workers of the World, and we've been talking about the upcoming summit in Toronto for worker organizers in service jobs called Working for Each Other, Working for Ourselves. To learn more about the summit, go to workingforeachother.org. That's workingforeachother.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.